immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. This episode is sponsored by HHB Communications, the UK's leader in pro audio technology. For years, HHB has been delivering the latest and most innovative pro audio solutions to the world's top recording studios, post facilities, and broadcasters. The team at HHB provide best-in-class consultation, installation, training, and technical support to customers who want to build or upgrade their studio environment for immersive audio workflow. To find out more or book a demo at their HQ facility, visit hhb.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 95, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell. Our guests today, Gavin Kearney and Helena Darfin from Audio Lab, University of York. Helena is a professor of music science and technology at the School of Physics, Engineering and Technology. Her research utilizes interdisciplinary approaches to investigate voice science and acoustics, particularly singing performance, choral singing, and singing for health and well-being. Recent projects explore the potential of virtual reality to improve access to group singing activities as a tool for singing performance research. Gavin is a professor of audio engineering at the School of Physics, Engineering and Technology, also at University of York. He's an active researcher, technologist, and sound designer for immersive technologies and has published over 100 articles and patents relating to the immersive audio. Gavin, Helena, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. Gavin, you were one of the early guests back in 2018, believe it or not. Yeah, I can't believe it's been so long. <laughs> a lot of uh, water has passed under the bridge since then, for sure. Indeed. As you said, yeah, a lot of time has passed uh, since. Uh, obviously, we've been in regular contact, but why don't you tell our listeners some key highlights on the, what's been happening at the Audio Lab for the past six years? Okay, wow. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we've we've been growing as a lab and We've had a lot more industry involvement. So the likes of BBC and Google and Sony and many others that we, you know, we can't really talk about. But, um, but suffice to say that that's meant really great investment in the lab and great investment in facilities and also growing the, the student numbers. In 2019, we were hosting the AES Immersive and Interactive Audio Conference, which was really a success, quite a highlight. And then, of course, we had covid <laughs> which ground everything to a halt. Mm. And I think for the best part of two years, our growing team of researchers ended up having to do everything uh, online. And, uh, and that was quite an interesting period for us where we actually had to make sure that all of our team had all the same equipment at home and they could all do each other's work, you know, each other's research, each other's experiments. Since, uh, I guess, the you know, the last year and a half, we've um, slowly been coming back. And now it's become apparent, actually, the growth of the lab that uh, if everybody came back at the same time, we wouldn't have any space for everyone to be here. And so actually, we do have plans to expand our facilities to enable new um, talent and new students to come in and work with us. And so on the back of all of that, that's kind of 
you know the 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 size of the lab but in 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 a sense all of that is backed by the grant re, uh, success that we've been having so um particularly from the likes of UK um research councils so we've had good success with creative clusters funding so XOR stories that was a great project that Damien Murphy um, who I think you've interviewed as well on this podcast, uh, Oliver. He's seeing now almost to its conclusion, and that's going uh, really well. Um, and continuing work with XOR Network Plus as well. Um, and that's looking at virtual production in the UK economy. Um, but the big thing for us over the last year has been success in securing one of the CoStar labs. So uh, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later today but that's kind of been the big highlight Helena do you have any others I think you've summed it all up really really nicely uh, well Helen let's come to you now um, you're new to our podcast uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into research and spatial audio sure absolutely um, so as you probably can tell from the introduction you gave me there I'm I'm kind of obsessed with the voice. So my expertise is in voice science and acoustics and particularly singing. Um, in a past life, I was a full-time classical singer. And so actually my interest in spatial audio is driven from that and my experience as a singer and my research and interest in voice acoustics and the fact that whenever we use our voice in a space, we change the way we use it. Um, and that's particularly interesting when you're singing and singing in very different acoustics. And so I, I, that's where I started my journey, really, was being interested in the way that we interact with the space around us. And then when we have multiple singers, so when we're singing in groups and performing music together, we have this really complex matrix of interactions that are acoustic interactions, not only with each other and the, the sound that we create with our voices, but the way they interact with the space around us. And um, so for me, I became interested in how we can use spatial audio as a tool to understand those interactions and understand how acoustics change our behaviour as a, as a musical performer and particularly as a singer. And in order to do that, we need to be able to control that environment and therefore be able to reproduce it. Um, so that's when originally I went to Gavin and said... <laughs> I want to be able to sing within a choir, but none of the rest of the choir be there. And it'd be like I was in that space. And I don't know, part of me regrets that conversation because now here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I've uh, kind of gone down this rabbit hole of becoming fascinated by spatial audio in and of itself. Um, and so I'm still interested in that and using technology as a tool to understand um, musical interactions and acoustic interactions that take place in spaces. But also then, and this relates to the to the CoStar um, project that Gavin just mentioned, um, how I can create different experimental environments by separating musicians, but them still be able to interact together. So that's when we then bring in networked music performance and isolating performers. But it's really important that we get the spatial element right, in, especially if you're singing, for instance, in a choir, we, we don't yet understand the impact of have being immersed in that choir from a physical sense, um, never mind a spatial audio sense. And then COVID, which I don't want to mention again on this podcast because it's time that we, uh, we stopped talking about it, but it really did have an impact because it really highlighted the fact that whilst I was interested in developing tools for research, actually what we were doing was also creating tools that improved the accessibility of singing together. 
Um, so not everybody can come together and make music together all the time, which was, of course, highlighted in COVID, where that became the norm for everybody. What can we do with the technology to make that experience, if we aren't together in a room, as um, realistic or potentially hyper-real to really maximise that experience? So it's a long-winded way that I got into spatial audio is the short answer. <laughs> Well, that's a perfect segue to our hot topic conversation today, which is the CoStar project. Hot off the press, so to speak. Not a lot of people are actually aware of this project, the scale and the magnitude and the implications of it. So we are kicking off this three-part series to cover uh, some more recent developments relating to the project CoStar. Why don't we start by giving our audience a little bit of an introduction? Can you give a, an overview of what this initiative is about? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so CoStar, uh, everybody loves a good acronym. So CoStar stands for Convergence Screen Technologies and Performance in Real Time. The P is silent. Um, and this is essentially a, a an investment from the UK government into the creative industries. And uh, it's, it's funded by UK Research and Innovation. So it's an infrastructure grant, which means that it enables um, the facilities and the technologies to be readily available for researchers and for industry to do cutting edge R&D into new uh, immersive experiences and immersive technologies. Um, and so essentially there are five sites uh, as part of the CoStar network spread across the UK. Um, there's the National Lab, three network labs and what's called a foresight lab. And the National Lab is run from Pinewood, uh, Pinewood Studios, and that's in collaboration with um, Royal Holloway and Surrey Universities. We have the Real-Time Lab in Abertay, uh, which has very much a focus on games. Uh, the Screen Lab out of Ulster University in Belfast, which is more traditional screen industries. The Foresight Lab, which is um, uh, between Goldsmiths and Loughborough Universities. And that is basically looking at past, present and future trends in the creative sector. And then there is us. We are the CoStar Live Lab. And our um, focus is very much on the live performance industry. So live performance on screen, on stage and in the metaverse. And uh, we're based, the lab is based at uh, Production Park in Wakefield. So Production Park is Europe's largest campus of companies, um, all dedicated to innovation in live performance. And this will be the only research facility in the world which is looking at research and development um, for the next generation live performance experiences. So it's super exciting for us. Remote network audio and virtual production are at the heart of this project. Can you explain what are these concepts and perhaps could you unpack why it's so relevant in the current era of content production? Sure. Um, so I'm, I think I, I touched a moment ago in my research interest that one of the things we've been doing is kind of isolating musicians so that they can perform together, but when they aren't physically in the same space, which during COVID obviously had, that was the essential need. But actually it's highlighted a trend that's taking place anyway of a need that we have to reduce, for instance, the carbon footprint of performers in live performance. If we look at where the wastage is in um, in the industry, a lot of it comes down to travel 
and the need to travel not only musicians around, but all their gear. It was like tens of trucks for every large live music production. And so the industry is really looking for ways to reduce that, um, and not only in terms of carbon footprint, but also in terms of time and travel time it takes musicians. We are now in a global world and musicians don't necessarily live together when, or performers don't necessarily live in, a, in the same place. So just coming together to rehearse um, and how to, how to maximise the efficiency of the processes. And until now, it really hasn't been possible to come together over a network, over the internet, and perform together in a, in a way that allows the interactions to be natural. But we're now moving into an age where that is becoming possible. And that's what we want to maximise on with the CoStar Live Lab is to be at the cutting edge of that, of that revolution in kind of moving forward of the home technologies as well and what the internet can, is capable of at home. Not just to allow data to travel quickly over a network, but to make sure that we, we're there and ready with the spatial audio capability to make those experiences as meaningful as possible. Um, so that's from the kind of the performer point of view. But then from a consumer point of view, the way that we consume media is completely changing. And it's one of the things that is being looked at in terms of what will media consumption look like in the next 10 to 30 years. It's it's not going to be simply choosing what you watch from your sofa and seeing it on a on a flat screen. We're already seeing different interactions taking place with second screen technologies. We no longer sit and consume media and live streaming is becoming more and more popular. But it's not going to look like it does now in 10 years' time. It's going to be something that's far more involved and the consumer is going to have a role to play in that live performance, have choices to make about how they consume that performance and potentially influence the performance itself. And those are the sorts of things we want to be able to explore with this remote network audio virtual production technology. Just to build on what Helen has said there, I mean, you know, the idea of networked audio, of bringing performers together into shared uh, environments, shared virtual environments, um, shared experiences is, you know, something that is um, su super exciting from a research and development perspective, but, but also something that's super essential from uh, an industry perspective. And I think, you know, virtual production has seen quite a um, success in the visual effects industry. So if you think of the large LED walls and so forth that are used in, you know, productions like The Mandalorian, um, that's typically what people think of, of virtual production. But actually, it goes way beyond that. It, you know, we've been working here in, in, in the University of York on virtual environments, virtual auditory environments for, well, you know, best part of 20 years. And so, um, you know, virtual production is not just what you see in the visual effects industry. It really kind of extends quite beyond that. And so bridging um, the idea of having musicians together in networked audio environments with um, productions that can be made completely virtually really opens up a whole gamut of possibilities for collaboration, for um, event production. And as Helena mentioned, you know, creating sustainable um, environments that are economically viable and allow us to do really scalable productions um, from several users to hundreds of thousands of people dialing into the same event. So it's it's a super exciting territory. Speaking of collaborators, can you talk more about 
your specific collaborators on this project. Uh, what challenges as well as what opportunities does that bring? I think this is one of the most exciting aspects of our um of the of the live lab actually is that our collaborators include large corporations like so Sony Interactive are one of our supporting partners all the way down to SMEs. So so we have Megaverse as well as a supporting supporting partner um to represent those different kind of landscapes within the industry and to make sure that their voices are heard. I'm talking about supporting partners first because these are kind of the end users that we that we want to make sure that we are seeking to directly address their needs as the end user for these technologies that are going to be developed. Opera North, for instance, are another supporting partner, a very different um, part of the live performance industry and perhaps not one that you'd immediately associate with virtual production. But for instance, the um, the opera industry is very interested in how can they de- democratise their art form and use technology to do that and stay relevant and stay at the cutting edge and introduce new audiences. Yeah, and we also have Tate as well. So Tate, um, they're basically the largest um, live events production company in the world. And they're they're super interested in how immersive technologies can help them design and build large scale arena productions. And and also what do what do hybrid experiences look like? What so if we if we have network performances and we have audiences networked and we also have real world audiences engaged in a concert all at the same time, how do they handle the logistics of such a thing? Um, so, you know, that's uh, that's really uncharted territory. So they're super excited for that. And Tate are based on the Production Park campus. And that brings us to um, our core partner and our, our home for the Live Lab, which is Production Park. And I mean, that that's the really, the thrilling thing about the CoStar project is that what UKRI are trying to do Rather than bringing industry into academia, which is kind of the traditional way that academia would collaborate with industry, we're going to them. So we will be housed on Production Park, which Gavin mentioned earlier, is genuinely at the heart of the live production industry. Um, we will we will be there. We will be working with them on a day-to-day basis. And all of the exciting artists that they bring and the SMEs that also live on their campus will be able to engage in the co-star ecosystem, which is really thrilling. And the fact that Production Park is based in Wakefield, we also have Wakefield Council and the Local Enterprise Partnership for North Yorkshire. So th- that's really exciting because it means that we can make a genuine change to their space. There are three elements that we're really approaching here in setting up the infrastructure for the CoStar Live Lab. The first is um, the research and development itself. The second is um, skills provision. So looking at um, gaps in the industry where where people need to be upskilled in virtual production technologies. And then the third is on business incubation, right? And so these three facets really need to have the correct supporting infrastructure in place. So for the research and development, we're going to have a team of researchers who uh, we're currently recruiting and they'll be based at Production Park. And they'll be working alongside industry, um, trying to look at current close to industry um, problems that are in um, virtual production sector, looking at things like 
um, lowering the barrier to entry in, in terms of virtual production. It's a super expensive technology to be using right now. And so how can we democratize the tech and make it more accessible to a wider range of people? And then also uh, from the skills provision side, we have um, Screen Yorkshire who will be helping us uh, identify, obtain talent that can be upskilled that we can um, you know, take people from the live performance industry and from the screen industries and really get them to know about next generation uh, gaming technology and XOR technologies and how these um, can be bridged to create new VP workflows. And it's also worth mentioning that we also have Vodafone who uh, are very interested in um, the capabilities of 5G technologies in virtual production and what that means for live performance events. So how we can use 5G to create, for example, hybrid experiences. Um, and as Helena mentioned, you know, Wakefield Council and York and North Yorkshire Local Enterprise Partnership, they're there to help us support the business incubation side of things. So if we have companies who want to engage with Production Park, who want to come and um, develop technologies with us, develop, uh, work alongside our researchers, they could potentially incubate at the park and um, and we can you know th think about developing, for example, knowledge transfer partnerships with them, where we create some new technologies and uh, help their business grow. And it's also worth mentioning that the University of York as well would also be a host to um, potential businesses arising out of CoStar. And we have a further um, partner called Tileyard, Tileyard North. They have a base in London, but they've just opened a new space. Um, by the Hepworth Gallery in, in Wakefield. And Tileyard is a, a company that incubates music businesses. And so, again, how can we use virtual production technologies to impact um, all facets of the music industry? Over the years, you've been involved with an impressive portfolio of research and development projects that essentially led you to this huge collaboration opportunity. Can we dive in and talk about some of those uh, key projects and collaborations specifically in the areas of uh, remote network audio and virtual production? Yeah, I think I think the BBC is a really good place to start because it's we've had several projects now um, with the BBC and there's quite a nice narrative that's taken takes us through those those projects in terms of directly associated with with CoStar and it's its objectives. We we started out um, working with the BBC um, at Maida Vale. Um, we were interested in the concept of creating a digital twin that would then allow people to perform together within the digital twin networked um, in full VR. Gavin, I'm going to let you talk about how <laughs> how the impulse responses were, were taken at Maida Vale because because uh, I wouldn't take that away from you. Um, but but in terms of the broader uh, aims of the project. What we were looking for here was, could we recreate, um, uh, for instance, a live lounge session that would have taken place, um, Radio 2 live lounge. It's very famous. It's iconic. The building is iconic. That studio is iconic. Kind of every name has, has played there and wanted to play there in the past. But Maida Vale is not going to be around for much longer in its current state. Uh, the BBC have sold it. And so part of what we wanted to do was capture that capture the essence of the space capture capture its acoustics and its its unique um fitting in the heritage of the music industry um and then we also wanted to see whether the technology was good enough yet whether we could develop something that would allow 
a band to come to Maida Vale, cut a track as if it was a live lounge session uh, in in reality, like be there in person, and then us recreate that situation in VR networked so each band member in this case we had a four-piece um professional rock band so they performed at made a veil they then came to the lab at the at the audio lab at the university we separated them they all put on vr headsets and then they did it again and um, and again <laughs> several times and we were interested in their reaction could they even perform with the headsets on there was there's lots and lots of variables involved once we put performers in VR. But I know what you're really interested in is the spatial audio and how did we capture Madewell Studios? Uh, so I'll pass over to Gavin. Okay, well, just to think as well, I mean, Madewell Studios, uh, you know, such a historical space and we we really, you know, as Helena said, we wanted to preserve it um, as it currently is before it may get changed considerably. And so because of that, we really wanted to do a very thorough job in capturing the acoustic fingerprint of the space. And also thinking forward to our research on, you know, um, Six Degrees of Freedom VR, we wanted to make sure that we had enough um, acoustic data captured to enable us to do future experiments um, uh, in, in Sixtoff. And so with that in mind, we decided that we would go ahead and, and um, capture grids of impulse response measurements, spatial impulse response measurements and uh, uh, binaural room impulse response measurements um, throughout each of the spaces. And so we did this over the course of several weekends. And um, I always say I wish that um, some representative from Guinness was there because we captured something in the region of 80,000 impulse responses. If you consider, for example, a, a, um, an Eigen mic having 32 um, separate impulse responses, then the numbers quickly add up. Um, but suffice to say that that's a lot of data. And um, some of that data is actually currently publicly available. And so you can go to the Audio Lab website and you can download, I think it's a, a Zenodo link where you can download the Studio 4 uh, database of binaural uh, impulse responses and um, higher order ambisonic impulse responses. The receiver positions were a grid of positions spread through the studio floor and also at the mezzanine level in, in uh, Metavel 4. And then we captured from seven source positions. So we had... Um, uh, different performer positions in the room and then also a representation of what a drum kit would be. And uh, this enables us then to do kind of complete reconstruction of what a rock band uh, ensemble might sound like, for example, which was a typical um, typical performance scenario in Studio 4. And then um, Studio 5 is a smaller studio. Uh, again, we captured a grid of impulse responses in there. And then MV3 and MV... Two, MV2 in particular is the home of the BBC Singers. Um, these again were much larger spaces, um, but um, again required to have uh, grid, grids of, of measurements in each of those spaces. But uh, MV2 and MV3 are currently only used for internal research and development purposes and for the for the Sapphire project that we're working with the BBC, but you can go online and you can get MV4. Um, for sure, if you're interested in playing around with six stuff VR immersive experiences. So now looking forward with everything that's happening around the project coast, um, can you talk about the type of projects and opportunities that will be possible to uh, initiate and collaborate on? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things within CoStar Live Lab that we want to do is to really try and enable uh, scalable experiences. So the infrastructure within the lab, we're going to have network performance laboratory with, with two rooms that are essentially identical with networked immersive audio and visual capability where we can run experiments um, and test network performance scenarios. And then also we'll have a user experience lab where we can do um, you know, look at biometric data of um, users, one or two users, um, and their response to immersive technologies. And then we can scale up these potential experiences to one of the arena stages, for example, in Production Park and do, um, you know, potentially thousands of people engaged in an immersive experience and looking at their um, uh, how they're engaged and how they're responding to to that experience, and th so scalability is at the heart of this. Like, so how do you create experiences that go from um, um, being consumed, for example, on a mobile device to actually somebody who is at an event and is is you know getting the full gamut of audio visual experience. And this is a kind of a, a large continuum of potential experiences um, that includes things like virtual and augmented reality experiences throughout um, and hybrid experiences throughout. And so how do we think about those um, different types of technologies that we'll develop to facilitate those experiences and what are the workflows, the production workflows to enable them to happen. So as part of that, we've started the project with the BBC called Sapphire, which is Scalable Audio Frameworks for Immersive Real-Time Environments. I told you we love a good acronym. God, um, you love acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're pretty good as well. Um, and that, that project has really, um, you know, where we've really began to look at these types of experiences and, and how we can um, think about the different frameworks where we can go from um, consumption on a mobile device through to VR environments. So we've got some exciting um, particular aspects of that project coming up. So I'll pass over to Helena to talk about that work with the BBC. Yeah, so we're really excited that we're working with the BBC Singers um, to create an event for them that allows them to draw in their huge fan base, actually, and supporters who often are singers in community choirs themselves in order to be part of the BBC Singers for an evening and take part in a live um, workshop with the BBC Singers, but from the comfort of your own home. So utilising the technology that we've been developing, the BBC Singers will put on this um, event which will allow you from your house to join the BBC Singers, be positioned within the BBC Singers and sing within them, um, but also capture your contribution to that event live. Um, and this contribution will then be produced into the concert that the BBC Singers will be performing at the Barbican in London um, in September um, to be part of a mass virtual choir. This is a way that the BBC Singers can thank um, many of the choirs that helped to save them when they were in jeopardy last year with the cuts to the BBC. And also just gives people an experience that they otherwise would never have, you know, to be able to sing along with the BBC Singers, to be part of them and experience what that would be like. It's a really great opportunity. And that comes off the back of us looking at these different ways to engage with musicians over networks and incorporate spatial audio to make it a truly immersive 
experience where you feel present within the group that you're singing as part of. Also within the Sapphire Project, um, leading to this um, work with the BBC, we put on a networked performance, a hybrid performance um, at the AES conference in August, which was based at Huddersfield University. And we had a vocal octet split into two. So four of the singers were in York. Four of the singers were on stage um, in the Phipps Hall at Huddersfield with the audience in situ. And so we put on a concert live with this octet performing together over a network, um, but as though they were in the BBC singers' um, home of Maida Vale. So it was quite a complex concert. It was quite high risk, um, but it worked. And um, these singers put on a 45-minute performance um, they couldn't see each other, it's worth saying. So they did all this um, just based on the audio and the spatial audio that we provided them. And um, and they put on a fabulous performance, which you can hear um, on the, if you go to the Audio Lab website, that will direct you to some of the materials where we recorded the concert. And you can judge for yourselves whether or not these performers could perform naturally over the network. Are there any like specific targets associated with with these projects and research and maybe technology hurdles, obstacles that you kind of collectively planning to achieve and overcome short term and perhaps more long term as well? Absolutely. I think with all of the work that we've been doing in recent years um, on kind of XR technologies and especially performance and networked performance is flagging up the fact that the technology is developing faster than the tools we have to evaluate it. So, for instance, go to the website, listen to this performance, judge for yourselves whether or not singers were able to perform together between Huddersfield and York. But if we want to measure that, we don't yet have the tools validated to know that we're measuring the right thing. Um, and so one of the key kind of immediate concerns for CoStar and the use of the labs is for us to develop the toolkits that we require to be able to evaluate the technology that we're developing. Um, there's there's so many different disciplines involved. You know, you can't, you can't simply analyse the, the acoustic signal that's been created. We need to think about the psychology, the social impact um, of what's happening. We're bringing people together on a human level using technology and so we need to look to lots of different disciplines and bring together different techniques to have a holistic understanding of whether we're doing that well or not. Um, and that's that's one of my particular passions for, for developing with CoStar. And it's really important that we develop that alongside the key objectives of the technology, which, as Gavin said earlier, we're about the scalability of the technology and how do we actually make something that is relevant and usable for people whether that's the performers themselves or people in their homes consuming these media. And I think it's worth saying, you know, um, a, a key aspect in all of this, particularly for future experiences, is is personalization. And, you know, we're always thinking about what the the live event of the future will look like. You know, what will what will live events, what would we like live events to look like in 2030? And I can imagine a scenario um, I would love to see a scenario where I'm at a live venue and I'm getting a personalized audio experience and a personalized video experience for for 
um, you know, exactly the way I want to consume it and still have the social presence of being amongst everyone else in the audience. And maybe that's, you know, being physically at the environment, but also being able to do this completely in a virtual environment as well. And just being able to shape it and choose the way I want to consume it, um, be that from the visuals, be that from, you know, the personalized spatial audio, from um, turning down the crowd levels, turning um, up aspects of the music, all non-invasive for somebody who's consuming the audio and the visuals in a live event or potentially um, thinking about using biometric data that comes back from the user to enhance the event in some novel way. And so uh, I think there's a lot of exciting scope there for research and development to happen over the next 10 to 15 years to really personalize the experience. Having worked on so many projects and research, what are your thoughts on the future of spatial audio in the sectors we covered today, but also in more broader sense? I think there's an incredible scope for spatial audio through all parts of the production chain. So um, if we if we think about, you know, pre-production, for example, for live events uh, or pre-production for um, for film and television productions, that we could start to think about the immersive audio aspect of it, even at that stage. Because one of the things virtual production allows us to do is that at the point of shooting um, or at the point of the actual performance uh, itself, you can think about how to change aspects of the uh, the computer graphics which are displayed on screen, right? That's the typical workflow for virtual production. Why not do the same with the immersive audio, right? So let's think about from the point of production, what sound design elements can we have there that actors could react to, for example, or that, um, you know, the positioning of the musical elements for musicians and to enhance their performance experience. And so looking at it from that perspective, um, is really exciting. Also thinking about how we can combine uh, AI technologies in such workflows as well to create completely um, immersive virtual worlds, virtual soundscapes and world build, do world building uh, in a way that we haven't been able to achieve before with sound design. Um, and to create these immersive audio environments would be super exciting. And then on the reproduction side, on the rendering side, as I said before, you know, I feel it's all about personalization. It's all about creating really exciting experiences for the individual. Also thinking about bringing people together in the shared immersive spaces. Um, how can we make them as scintillating and engaging as possible? That's the research challenge, you know, making making people really feel like they are truly present together. Musical applications are the killer application for this, really, because latency is so critical. And so, you know, whatever algorithms we come up with for immersive audio, they've got to be clever and they've got to be low computational cost. And uh, and of course, they have to have low latency. And so that's why it's it's so important for us at CoStar Live Lab that we have partners like Vodafone who we can do these real world tests with over, for example, 5G. So uh, yeah, a bright future, lots of work to do. Um, but I think it's super exciting territory. What is the best way to find out more about yourselves and the work you do? 
the best way to find out what we're up to at any given time is to look at the Audio Lab website, try to keep it up to date. We do tweet, I believe. I'm the worst person at social media in the world. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Go go to the Audio Lab website, not only for information about projects, but also where we have uh, databases, etc. They're all available uh, linked through through the Audio Lab website. There may well be recruitment opportunities coming up very soon associated with the CoStar Live Lab. So keep an eye out. Um, and we will absolutely be um, pushing those on social media as well. What piece of advice could you give that helped you in your career? If you'd asked me if I'd be doing spatial audio, um, no would have been the answer even 10 years ago. Um, how I've ended up here is by following questions that I'm interested in answering. Um, so it's each project has that interest to me and I've always pursued something that that at the heart of it I'm passionate about and care about, even if the the obvious application or the obvious kind of research questions aren't necessarily. So, you know, I'm still obsessed with singing and still obsessed with all of those things. And I've it looks from the outside potentially as though I've gone on, on an obscure path. Potentially I have, but it's been by following a really interesting question at each step of the way. So I would say don't pigeonhole yourself and don't be scared of going outside your comfort zone a little bit if it's to pursue a question or a passion that you have. Yeah, so what, I mean, I would uh, echo those sentiments, but I would also say do what you love. And um, if you love working in the music industry, if you love playing music, if you love getting into the technical details of music technology, you know, follow your passion, get really good at it. And then, you know, the the jobs will follow. And I, I think that's a common mistake that a lot of people make is that they, they have a passion, but they they don't take the risk of seeing it through to to an ultimate end where people will pay them for their expertise. And that's the number one thing I would say is just do what it is you love to do and uh, the rest will all follow. That's brilliant. Gavin, Helena, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for thank having you. us. Thank you. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page www.patreon.com slash immersive audio podcast you've been listening to the immersive audio podcast hosted by oliver cadell and monica bowles this episode was produced by oliver cadell and emma reese and included music by rhythm scott got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.